Hello, everybody. This is Chris Blair, voice of the national champion Fighting Tigers of LSU. And you're locked in to the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Middle Georgia's number one voice of community and collegiate sports. Go Tigers. This is Mike Conti of Atlanta United and the Atlanta Hawks Radio Networks. You're listening to Middle Georgia's number one team for community and collegiate sports from Atlanta to Savannah. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Hey, this is Andy Dementra, voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And when I want to know what's going on in Middle Georgia sports, there's only one place I go. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Your place for community and collegiate sports. Guys, take it away. All right, welcome into the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show here with you, hanging out on a uh, week that football is, fellas. How you doing, Robin Ben? Joe Powers here. Robin Ben there. What's going on, guys? Doing great, man. We're getting closer to the college kickoff. High school kicks off this week for the state. I mean, it's just you can feel it. It's so close, you can taste it. Yeah, I, I feel like we're probably on the on the precipice of just a few more weeks of brutal weather. <clears throat> then it'll break, and it'll have that nice kind of fall smell to it you know it'll be a little bit better than it is august trying to finish that out still kind of rough but uh looking forward to that as everything kind of starting to get underway this week and college football is a couple weeks away you got the nfl preseason happening so uh it's uh it's the east family's dream I hear you, brother. And uh, Rob, you over there, my friend, look like you were ready for some tech action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to support the 404, baby. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Ho- he's hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> hopeful always springs eternal this time of year is what we're talking about. I saw right? an ad. I saw an ad, and I had I had to, uh, not an ad, but an article, and I had to had to take a picture of it. And the commentary in the Making Telegraph was, this could be the year for Georgia football. <laughs> 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 I like if that's not a broken record, I don't know what is. Wow. But I mean, they're stretching it right hey, there, right? But it it just might be, just like it is every other year. Oh, we got Easton, this could be it. We got Fromm, this could be it. Yeah, oh, could so. be the year. Well, as much fun as it would be to sit and talk about SEC football in Georgia in the year that could be, we're not. We're going to talk about our friends over there in the ACC, and uh, we're going to talk with our friend Jeff Cameron here with us from uh, the uh, War chant.com if i said that right jeff how you doing man oh it's good to be with you as always boys that means football is right around the corner joe rob ben good to hear your voices again and uh you did get it right joe it's warchant.com and i just left espn radio the station in town here uh quite frankly sold and um (laughs) what yeah (laughs) that makes you feel wanted right yeah (laughs) They sold the station out from under me, but uh, I can't blame them, actually, without getting into the uh, weeds here. Basically, the owner of the station owned, like, nine other stations, paid big licensing fees to ESPN. And he had a good run, but he's in his 80s, and he wanted to cash in his chips and go lay on the beach. So he did, and luckily, I I found a new home, uh, and and I was a little worried about it, but I landed on my feet with Warchant.com, doing some stuff locally here with 93.3 FM as well, and I'm going to be doing some video work, too, for YouTube. Some of the stuff we're going to be doing features uh, college football gambling and all that, too, now that Florida's legalized sports gambling. So I got I got my uh, irons and a lot of fires. So uh, that means if you're uh, you're in on the gambling stuff, we make it hit you up for some inside runs? or <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we may not, we may not want to uh, – you know, bring that up on, on a podcast. For today. <laughs> hey, we, can, we can edit that before we put it on the. And Georgia's Spotify. still on the. Georgia's still on the line, so we might have to sub bookie if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. Hey, every time I go to Vegas, I got to do that for all my buddies. Yeah, I know exactly what that is. I'm going out there with $1,000, but I'm really going out there with about four because I'm staking five other people. <laughs> yep, without question. Yep. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, we certainly do appreciate you being here with us, uh, Jeff. Got a lot to talk about. Of course, uh, we could talk about uh, Florida State, and we're going to do that. But uh, at first, let's talk about the thing that has been the most breaking news with Florida State. And it's it's not the best news, but it has been the most recent breaking news and that is the passing of uh uh the uh bobby bowden the longtime coach there national championship coach for the seminoles yeah coach bowden obviously uh, a legend of the game of college football you know, i think one of the things that i thought about with his passing uh one i i thought honestly we should all be so lucky to get 91 years to be surrounded by people we love married to a woman we love to, to be as successful as he was at whatever our chosen profession might be 
um, to me, that's a life to celebrate. And that's something that, uh, you know, obviously anytime somebody passes on, there is the initial, even when you know it's coming, there's still that initial moment where you're taken back a bit and you're saddened by their presence not being there anymore. But at the same time, I mean, again, if you're given all that and you're able to have a life like that, then I think we should celebrate it. So uh, Coach Bowden, you know, won two national titles for Florida State, really put the school on the map, frankly. And I think a lot of what Florida State has become, both academically and in terms of the size of the institution, the growth of the school and all that is because of Bobby Bowden and the winning that he did here. And, you know, the decision to come to Florida State and after he was kind of run out of town in Morgantown at West Virginia, turned out to be a very fruitful one for both he and, and the city of Tallahassee and all who call Florida State uh, their school. So uh, t- to me, it was a life well lived and something to celebrate. But the chance to reflect back on all of that winning, and it is amazing. You know, in some ways in the, in the latter part of his career, he was, uh, I don't want to say a victim of his own success, but when you set a standard that high and you have 14 consecutive seasons from 1987 through 2000 where Florida State finished in the top four and you win a couple of national titles, people expect you to be there annually. And, and he slipped a little bit there late, as a lot of legends do at the end of their career. And, you know, I, I hated the way it ended, but I understood. Uh, I was one of the ones on the air who were critical of where the program was headed at that time. But I never wanted it to deflect from – uh, the, the goodness of the man and who he was. And so uh, on a day in which or on a week in which he passes, you know, certainly we celebrate the life of Bobby Bowden. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he is an absolute legend, especially um, at Florida State. But in college football, I mean, he just made such a mark. And, and it's like you said, though, you know, have such a big run. And I think it, for anybody that has that type of success, it's really difficult towards the end to kind of let go of that grass when you may be slipping and stuff too. So it's just a part of, it's just a part of it. But um, it, it was, uh, it was excellent to watch even when I was a young guy to watch some of that Bowden and Chris Winkie when they just destroyed Georgia tech year in and year out. It was like, we could hardly ever come through in Tallahassee. And Jeff, you might remember this, but I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit too young to remember it, but <clears throat> I was talking to a Virginia tech fan over the weekend I happened to be in Virginia, and the uh, he was talking about how Virginia Tech was up in the third quarter of the national championship. I think they were in the Sugar Bowl or something, but they're playing. I think they're playing Florida State, and uh, he said that Bobby just came back and just. They were they were up three scores or something going to the third quarter, and then Florida State came back and beat them, and Virginia Tech was wiped out again. So, I, is that is that accurate? Is that an accurate well, recollection? They, well, the, the the part about Florida State beating Virginia Tech in the national championship game in the Sugar Bowl there in New Orleans, the game I attended, I was on the fifty yard line. I was actually that's how old I am. I, I was covering the team back then. It was my first one of my first years, and uh, Florida State had the lead for the most of that game, but. What did happen was Michael Vick and Virginia Tech came storming back and made that a game in the fourth quarter. It looked like they had a chance to maybe upset Florida State, but then it was basically Chris Winkie hit Peter Warwick on an amazing play and Ron Dugans on another play. And next thing you knew, Florida State was pulling away again. So it kind of shattered their dreams there. But that was a fun national championship, and that was a – you know, it was an undefeated season for Florida State, just an amazing year. They were the first ever uh, wire-to-wire uh, preseason number one, never never relinquished number one, and went all the way through. It's happened since, but they, Florida State was the first to do that in 99. Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of a testament. That's kind of more what Bobby was able to kind of string together and bring some of those things and almost set that precedent, you know, after that to, to Jimbo Fisher and now where the program's kind of got a the expectation level for Florida State football set. It really in part due to Bobby Bowden's success and what he was able to bring to that program. Without question. And, and you know, that's why it's hard for people right now at Florida State. I, I bring this up a lot when I'm on the air and talking about where Florida State sits currently. And, you know, you, you go back through every big-time college football program, no matter Alabama, you name it, it you know, Oklahoma, anybody you want to name. They've gone through stretches where they don't resemble who we think them to be, you know, because they built up the cachet and they're part of the larger fabric of college football. They've won championships and they've produced Heisman winners and All-Americans. But invariably, there's a downturn. There's a moment where a confluence of events, whatever it might be, leads to a downturn and the program is only the program in name. They're not on the field what they should be. And Florida State fans are watching this now. It's very difficult. But I try to explain to them, and this without being condescending, of course, I think they understand this, but maybe it's just a daily reminder, that when you have, at the end of Jimbo's time, 
you had a toxic locker room and some things went south there and he was looking to leave and kind of unfortunately the truth of the matter is as well as he coached there at Florida State and won a national championship the end was a little ugly and he was looking to get out so Florida State kind of slipped in recruiting late he leaves the locker room's got to be rehauled Willie Taggart is hired that turns out to be a failure of a hire Willie could never really get a handle on that locker room in the sense that he inherited a mess but he couldn't right the ship and really I think Florida State's administration in that moment realized, okay, it may be unprecedented for us to fire a guy two years into his tenure, but we don't see that in year three and year four, this is going to be moving in the right direction. We got to get out from under this. And I think that was their philosophy. Well, okay, that's fine. You can criticize it. You can say it's too soon. You can say it was the right move. Either way, what you commit yourself to in that moment is hiring a third coaching staff in four years. There is no way that you will find any level of continuity and consistency, both in the world of recruiting or the on-field product, if you had three coaching staffs in four years. And then that poor coaching staff under Mike Norvell comes in, and not to make excuses for him, but we all saw it's a COVID year. He got no spring with his team, no install with his team. They got two practices, guys. So this has been an unmitigated disaster and I think that folks have to understand it's going to be a couple of years before they begin to see light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I think that they got the right guy, but I do think it'll be a little while before we see Florida State start to resemble the Florida State in most people's minds. Yeah, and I mean, you point to it exactly, though. I mean, you got to think about all of the stuff that goes into a program. I mean, if you're going to compete at the top level like an Alabama or a Clemson or a Georgia, I mean, these guys, like, look at Georgia, okay? Yeah, Kirby Smart came in, but Mark Rick had the pieces. Kirby went to the national championship with Rick's guys, and he had continuity from all the years that Rick was there, and then, bam, you got Kirby Smart. Nick Saban, you didn't come in after a lot of just a total train wreck, and Nick took a couple years in Bama to get set. And, uh, and Dabo did too, but Dabo came in after a lot of consistent coaching through there. So now Norvell is in a very tough spot trying to get some continuity going. I mean, he's literally dealing with guys that are there that have played for multiple coaches, and it's very unprecedented, and, and especially this recruiting stuff. I mean, you get in with these schools and high schools, and, I mean, you can pick a couple of kids from four or five high schools that are popular around you, I mean, and you don't have that foothold. It just makes it very difficult, and it's just going to be a longer process for Florida State, and they'll have to be patient to get to that type of level to compete with the top ten programs in the country. Yeah, and it's hard for Florida State fans to hear that. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, think about it, too. For people that remember when Florida State joined the conference in the early 90s, Florida State stepped foot into the ACC and dominated it in a way that Clemson's currently dominating it. Florida State um, couldn't be beaten, quite literally. They were not beaten in the ACC for years. (laughs) And so people watched this play out and they thought, oh, we're just going to rule this conference forevermore, and and this doesn't really – but it doesn't work that way, and you're going to – and they did for a long time. But the bottom line is they've obviously taken a huge step back now, and when you compare in the Atlantic Division, for example, Florida State's talent currently on the roster to what Clemson has, it's it's a non-starter. Florida State's not even close to the kind of size and speed and depth of talent that Clemson has that makes them an annual contender for the title. So I think what Florida State fans have to do this year is go into it with realistic expectations, understanding that you're kind of raising the floor of the roster a little bit. You ran off some guys that weren't buying in, and you you got kids now that are bought in, but they're young and inexperienced. You don't have a lot of talent up front, and we know games are won and lost a lot of scrimmage, cliche, but it's true. They don't have a dominant defensive line or offensive line. So I think they're going to be a team that has to find a way to win the 50-50 game. And then I think the other sign they have to show the fans that it's the right staff, have, have your kids in a position to succeed every week. They may not win those games in which they're underdogs. And they may get worn down in those games. But you can't get beat by 40 points every time you play somebody who you're an underdog to. And last year, every time Florida State took the field and played somebody who was ranked, or was a favorite by, say, more than a touchdown, Florida State got blown out. They weren't competitive. And that's what Florida State fans can't stand. They have to see some signs that this is moving in the right direction. And I think you can go 5-7 and seven or 6-6 six and six, as long as the losses show a real fight and a willingness to play together and buy in. 
Yeah, and we see the same thing that we're dealing with. It, we and not to compare kind of apples to apples, but at Georgia Tech with the huge transfer from the triple option to where Jeff Collins in year three, we're kind of in the same boat. Like we're looking at it like, look, man, you went three and seven two years in a row. Everybody in the stands are like, hey, man, we're paying this guy a lot of cash. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. we, we see we see that you're getting four stars. We see you're getting five stars. But uh, when are we going to go five hundred? When are we going to make a bowl game? Like you, you got to start producing in this type of era. You can't just Okay, we're just going to go, you know, three and seven, four and eight. You you got you've got to produce. I mean, that, that's the whole point. Re- recruit rankings don't win football games until they're you know put out there and, and led to do that. Like you're talking about, make the fans feel good about what the product they're getting. Like with Florida State taking the field under Taggart, there were egregious things you would see in the course of the game where you're like, man, that just doesn't something's not jihad. Well. Georgia mm-hmm. Tech's had a little bit of that the last couple of years where you've kind of been like, ooh, something's not right there. That looks bad. So, you know, in year three, let's try to correct some of those things and make the fans feel better and kind of get behind all of the the hoopla and, and the hype. Let's get give me something for what I'm watching and trying to buy into. Yeah, it's funny. It's, you're always dealing with different expectations, whether it's a new guy in year two and year three, or if it's a guy that has obviously set a really high standard. You know, you guys at the outset, I was hearing you talking. Georgia's got what twenty returning starters. They uh-huh. got the best offensive line in the country. I think you know JT Daniels walks into a, it's a good situation if <laughs> yeah. he takes a step forward. Georgia ought to win the East with ease, in my opinion. Yes. And and and, and, and I had a I had a conversation with somebody today. Uh, and, you know, whether your listeners are comfortable with gambling or not, I'll just say this. I took Georgia at plus 800 to win the national title in the summer because my thinking was all of that talent, talent as loaded as they are, in essence, what you're saying is they just have to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game because if they win that game, they're going to the college football that's playoff. True. And obviously any team that's capable of beating Alabama in said game is capable of winning the national title. So, at that point, I kind of thought, I'll take a flyer, throw some pizza money on Georgia at plus 800. <laughs> plus 800 for here. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I like. I mean, I, I do think this is a really good Georgia team, and I'm excited to see the SEC play out. As for, you know, I, I, I kind of put on different glasses when I get into the ACC because I know it's a foregone conclusion that Clemson's going to win the ACC. Yeah. I'm just curious to see if Florida State can get to 500, and I want to see how they get to 500. And I guess I'll take a peek around to see if North Carolina is as advertised. And we'll see if Miami is indeed back, which they've been saying for 20-plus years. They haven't been. So, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, we had, uh, Jeff, we had Vince Dooley on our show just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, wasn't it, guys? Yes. And, uh, you know, we I asked Vince that question about, do you think we can get over the, the Nick Saban Alabama hump? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he gave a very diplomatic answer in the fact that he said, you know, Kirby's just keeps knocking on the door and, uh, you know, eventually that door is going to open. So he gave me the, the best non-answer answer that he could, I think, to say it'll be this year or not. But I tell you what, as a Georgia fan, it better be this year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what else oh, yeah. do you need? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I, I think, you know what, it's funny we talk about the varying levels of pressure and scrutiny that coaches are under. Well, there's no question Kirby Smart has recruited at an elite level. The hosses are there. And, you know, at some point you got to kick down that door. It's funny you bring up Vince Dooley, who, of course, won a national championship in Georgia and I think something like six SEC titles. But he's a guy that beat Alabama in, his, I think, his second year. And, you know, that famous eighteen seventeen game or whatever. But he yeah. – that that's that at some point you've got to find a way to you know kick down the door they've got talent there so i i would think this is the year to bet on georgia but i i, I chuckled when you guys were talking because i have a lot of friends my brother lives in atlanta and I, obviously my dad lives there by you guys i'm privy to all the georgia talk and they kind of roll their eyes every time everybody thinks of dog. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you you heard my comment was it's it, this is yeah. gonna be the year for georgia and it's like well that's what they say every year <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but in all seriousness j- joking being you know me and robert tech fans joe's a georgia fan we you know we, we like to give them a hard time because like, oh here they are again <laughs> pumping themselves up but if you really look at it on paper with all they've got coming by and talent alabama mm-hmm. had a, a mass exodus of an incredible team uh, LSU's kind of down from when they won the national championship so uh, not that not that the SEC is down because that's not the case they're not 
but Georgia seems to be more primed up and ready to strike this year than the rest of the conference in terms of trying to get the big one done. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually like Georgia this year. Now I'm going to be one of these guys who gets victimized <laughs> by believing in Georgia this time. But I, I'm willing to do it. I actually like that team a lot this year. And, you know, frankly, I'm rooting for them to do well. I, I think that they'll win the East. And I, you know, it's interesting when you look at the, the biggest games on Georgia's schedule, you know, right off the bat, people will circle that Clemson game. But I feel like if you believe Georgia's going to beat Clemson, you want to go ahead and, and place your, you know, your wager, if you will, on Georgia now. That's because it, because if they beat Clemson, those odds are going to go way down and you won't get the plus number that I was talking about. Now, if you think they're going to lose, you may want to wait on that game because you'll get even better odds than I got. But the bottom line is it doesn't matter. They can lose that game. They can win that game. I don't believe it will really, at the end of the day, matter too much about whether or not they get on through the rest of the SEC until they get to the SEC championship game. I think if you win that game, you give yourself a little bit of a leeway in case you stumble late. You'll probably still get into the college football playoff. But if you lose that game, I still think that they're the, they're the class of the East without question, and they'll get to the SEC title game. And if that happens, all you got to do is beat Bama, and you're kicking, you know, punching your ticket. I say all you got to do, but you at least have another chance, and you punch your ticket to the playoffs as well. Well, yeah, I mean, and also, you know, Georgia, they they there is no Tua Tagovailoa. There is no Jalen Hurts to come in if Tua sprained his ankle. You know, it's kind of a new, fresh tapas, if you will, for, yeah. uh, for Alabama. Yeah. So it, it's really primed up for them. But, um, you know, looking at the ACC – um, you obviously, you know, Clemson's, you know, you would obviously put them up there with Uwe Ungale coming back, and, and he's got some experience last year. Is that how you say that kid's name? I, think I got so. no idea I think how to say that great, kid's name. Uh, that was a great attempt. Great effort that. right there. Yeah, I heard it on the radio a couple times. I get, I'm close. Everybody knows who I'm talking about at least. Um, so you would think that it's probably just way too early predictions for the ACC, a North Carolina out of the Coastal versus Clemson, or – I just, I'm not buying into Miami. I watched them last year. I mean, I just, I'm not on the Miami train. No, nope. they're so up and down to me. I mean, you lose to a really bad Georgia Tech team at home. I mean, that, I just, I'm not buying in. Well, look, Miami folks, at the end of the year, guys, you know this. Uh, it, 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 it's always chic in the off season. You'll see something like nine to one for Miami to win the ACC or plus one thirty to win the Coastal Division. People think, well, I'm going to jump on that. Well. Okay, it's them or North Carolina, right? But let's not forget, Miami only beat the teams last year they were supposed to beat. And then last season, North Carolina beat Miami 62 to 26. Uh, that, 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 that's a real score, guys. That happened. Um, so, so you go and look at that Miami team. When they played good teams, they didn't win the game. When they played bad teams, they won the game. And, and occasionally, like you brought up, they, they lost to a bad George Tech team. They're a weird club because I feel like whenever their dreams, and this has been going on for some time now across different coaching staffs, whenever it is that Miami's preseason expectations get let down, whether it's an upset game or something happens that causes them to kind of be out of the running for a playoff appearance or something like that, it's almost like they go through the motions the rest of the way. It's very strange. It's hard to get a read on them. Um, They do have a ton of people coming back. But, you know, I would expect that defense is going to slip because their head coach, Manny Diaz, has taken over the play-calling duties there. And I'm, I'm not a fan of Manny Diaz. I don't, I don't, you know, he's a four-state graduate, by the way, but I don't think Manny Diaz is a very good coach. No. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not uh, Miami lives up to their preseason hype. But it's an annual occurrence. I'm with you. I'm going to take a look at Carolina to win that division. Yeah, no question. And, uh, and looking at Florida State's schedule, too, uh, just here for a quick second, I mean, you open at Notre Dame in Tallahassee. That, that should be a really exciting game, having fans back, and, and that should be a pretty big game on Sunday for the opening weekend. That's something that the guys at Florida State and, and obviously you guys have got to be looking forward to to try and get the season kicked off. And like you said, you know, even if, if, the, if, it's, if, if they don't win the game, they have to be close to try and get the rest of the season kicked off. So hopefully they can, you know, at least go 500. Guys, this is where Florida State's at right now. and It's hard to accept this again. And when I say it out loud, it almost hurts my feelings. But I'll be honest with you here. That Notre Dame game, you're right, should be an incredible atmosphere. If they get off to a good start, I know they're going to do a big pregame thing for Coach Bowden down on the field, the fans back in the stands, night game, 730, ABC, the country's watching. It's a showcase game. We know the energy's going to be great. 
Notre Dame's more than a touchdown favorite. For, for Florida State to upset Notre Dame, they got to get off to a good start and ride that wave, maybe begin to believe a little bit more than they have in some of these games in recent memory because they don't have anything to draw on the last three years. They don't have a moment. Yeah, you could point to the North Carolina game last year. They played one good half and held off for dear life. It was a stunning upset. But in truth, there are two other wins last year. One was against Jacksonville State. The other was against a Duke team that didn't feel like traveling here at the end of the year. Duke got shut out the week before by Miami and scored 35 on Florida State. So I really look at this is a group that's bereft of confidence. So they have to get off to a quick start. But assuming they lose that game, and this is what depresses me, you have to circle September the 18th at Wake Forest, Snuggy Hill, you know, that little that little sorry Winston-Salem area stadium. There's nothing, nothing about football there that, that makes you want to go. It's a library. And you gotta go try to, you got to go win that game. And honestly, they're going to be underdogs in that game. That's where Florida State's at, folks. They, they are going to be underdogs on the road against Wake. If your season has any chance at finishing with a bowl game, meaning you go 6-6, six and six, you have to beat Wake at Wake two weeks after you play Notre Dame. That's the whole thing. If they do it, they have a chance to come home and beat Louisville and Syracuse in back-to-back weeks before traveling to Chapel Hill. So that game, to me, is really the cornerstone of the season. Yeah, it, wow. it has to be. I mean, you have to. That's that's the first road game, obviously, and it's one that you would mark on the schedule going to Wake. You would you have to circle that as a must win. And then when they come home, Louisville's kind of a toss up. Satterfield's guys, they had some. They look good sometimes, and then other times you're like, my gosh, they look like a high school offense. Like, what are they yeah, doing? They're a weird team. Yeah, yeah. they're really awkward. And then. Syracuse has been so terrible the last couple of years after uh, the first couple of seasons that Babers had a great year and he was what ten and three or eleven and three or whatever they were and then they've been dismal um, since then. But they, if you look at the schedule, depending on what shakes up, I mean, you're right. I mean, it it looks it's going to be pretty tough for Florida State oh, yeah. to get to five hundred. I mean, it's a pretty tough schedule to get there. Well, Vegas has it at five and a half. And, and when that number came out in the offseason, when we look at win totals, and I told people, look, I, you don't have to care about gambling, but Vegas is not interested in your feelings. They're interested. What <laughs> so can they make money on? <laughs> right. So, so when they put the number out there, they don't really, it, they don't care who you root for or who you don't. They're trying to be empirical and trying to be very, very strict. Who's going to elicit 50 50 votes? You know, that's. Well, five and a half felt like a good number to me because you wrestle with it. If I'm going to give Florida State the benefit of the doubt that they'll play better in a non-COVID year, that they'll be a cohesive unit, that the coaching staff will have a chance to put those kids in a position to succeed, okay, well, then I'm going to give them a win against Jack State and Wake Forest and Louisville and Syracuse, and that's going to get you to four right there. Now, from there, I'll get you another easy win against UMass. That, that They don't even have to show up to win that game. That's five. Now, get me the sixth win. Because the second half of the schedule is brutal. At Clemson, NC State returns a ton. In fact, they've got they, – a lot of people don't realize this. Dave Doran, who I'm also not a fan of, but as an aside, <laughs> has, had, has had six winning seasons in his last seven years. They've got nine returning starters on offense. Bam Knight's a really good back. they got ten returning starters on defense. Guys, NC State should win that game at Doe Campbell Stadium if they play up to their ability. So it's hard to give Florida State a win there. Then you got Miami. We'll see if they care to play that game. But it's a rivalry game. They'll show up. And by the way, last year, I thought one of the best new coaches in the ACC without question was Hackley at Boston College. He had them ready to play. And that game is in late November, the week before you play Florida, sandwiched between Miami. I'm telling you, I have a hard time getting beyond five wins. So they're going to have to either upset somebody or they're going to have to maybe – you know, just just win like maybe one of these early season games like Notre Dame, where you catch them before they really have a chance to blossom into who they're going to be. But it, it's going to be hard to get the six wins. And I could see, I could see North Carolina. You know, even though they're kind of favored to win that to win the coastal, I could see the North Carolina game being on there is as one that might slip up because you know, depending on like you said, sometimes with North Carolina, it's like. They come out and they're they're pretty strong, but can they really hold that? Like, can they hold what they did last year uh, in a way? Can they bring that back again this year? So, I think the favorites North Carolina there, but I wouldn't be so far as to say that if you got a good cohesive Florida State team that's kind of trying to get back on the right track, you go to Chapel Hill, and I don't know if you've ever watched a game at Chapel Hill. 
That's a tough place to play because it's yeah. it's like Wake yeah. Forest. It's the same type of atmosphere. Not a lot of juice. If you get off the bus and get ahead and a couple early turnovers, you could beat North Carolina at home. Well, you know what's funny about that is Mac Brown, of course, went to Florida State as a Florida State alum, has never beaten uh, Florida State. He didn't his first go around at North Carolina, and he had them as high as ranked as number two in the country one year, and they lost 20-3 to three to Florida State on a Thursday night. He's never beaten them, and, and everybody was sure last year that they were going to win that game, and how could you not be sure they were going to win that game? And the next thing you know, that first half happens, and Florida State's got a big lead, and North Carolina nearly storms back to win it, but alas, they don't. So the weight is on Mac Brown to win that game. I mean, they're going to be huge favorites, but you're right. If they don't get off to a good start, who knows? Yeah, and I still think that uh, in, in North Carolina's terms and in the Coastal, I mean, I think that they'll probably win the Coastal because you, you have no idea what you're going to get out of Georgia Tech this year. I mean, you hope that you're better because you got to – Will Fuentes actually live up to what he's putting yeah, out to? Virginia I mean, Tech show up? I mean, they hadn't played well in several years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got a couple of big question marks on that side, but I'm just not buying the hype on North Carolina and Mac Brown. I mean, I think Sam Howell's a good quarterback, and they've definitely got some players, but – they just have some question marks in the ACC, and I think, you know, in total, you, you just basically – you kind of go in knowing that Clemson is pretty much head and shoulders above everybody else, especially yeah, talent-wise oh yeah. talent when you line up. And this year, you know, Notre Dame is not going to be playing the, you know, the full ACC schedule. When, like when they are they going to get on board, Jeff, and actually play a full Atlantic Coast Conference schedule? Do you think that day will ever come for Notre Dame? Well, not if they don't have to. They would have to be told, in essence, that they are unable to make a playoff appearance uh, if they don't win a conference. You know, you'd need something where the group comes together and says, uh, we're only taking conference Anytime. Champions. Anytime I want to hear that, Cub. Anytime. <laughs> yeah, I would like to hear it, too. I'm tired of it. If you put yourself in their shoes, they say, why would we? And, they, and nobody's made them. And they don't have to do it. You know, they've got their own fiefdom there. So, until the pressure's... Uh, are, are mounting to the point where they would be left out of, of the opportunity to win a national title because they always make special provisions for Notre Dame and the rest of us roll our eyes. And, you know, it's always like the Power Five and Notre Dame, whatever Notre Dame wants. So, to me, it, it's frustrating, but they, but if you're them, they just thumb their nose and laugh at the rest of us. And until they're made to do otherwise, I don't think that changes. I have a question for you guys, though. I do. We were talking about Georgia Tech a moment ago. I, it's a short choice said something the other day that made me smile. I was reading a, a quote. They were talking about doing seven on sevens. And he, he, I guess he lit into them and, and said, in essence, that guys were a little sloppy. They were doing it in the red zone. And he said, you know, look, I, I was lucky enough to play, like, whatever it was, six, seven years in the NFL. I remember with the Cowboys. And he said that if you go watch a professional team practice in those seven on seven moments, that every rep is intense. Every rep, the attention to detail is great. And, he felt like his guys were not doing that because it's a practice and you're hot and you're tired. You're not even a full pad. But he said, those guys do that because they know that tomorrow they could be cut and that he thought Georgia Tech has to practice that way because, quote, unquote, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of us being in this team that never has a chance to go to a bowl. Do you think we're going to see Georgia Tech take a big step up this year, or do you think that they're still another couple years away? I I think this year they they have to, and I think they will. Jeff Sims at quarterback has got a lot of talent, um, and Jameer Gibbs being back. Let's let's face it, Georgia Tech, after being in in the triple option, you obviously knew you were going to have an absolute stable of running backs. But Georgia Tech, quite frankly, probably has one of the top ten running back rooms in the country that's not talked about. Jameer Gibbs was a five-star out of Dalton. He's put on ten pounds in the offseason. He's like six – He's five. I think he's 5'11", 203. He's, they're letting him run mm-hmm. in the tackles this year. We've got redshirt senior Jordan Mason, who is a pounder, bruiser-type back. Then you have Dante Smith, who's behind him, who's a very elusive catch balls out of the backfield, off-tackle-type runner. And then you come in, follow up at fourth, Jemias Griffin. He was a four-star out of Rome, Gatorade player the year two years ago. 
Georgia Tech is absolutely loaded in the backfield. Look to see them do, especially you, you talk about Deshard Choice. He's probably been the best recruiter in addition to Georgia Tech to try and wrangle in that type of talent because he's got such an infectious attitude and players love mm-hmm. to talk to him and be around him. But look at Tech this year being a lot more aggressive in the run game and with Jeff Sims going two running back sets flanking on each side of Jeff Sims with a Jameer Gibbs and a Jordan Mason on each side. And they're going to be a lot more aggressive in the run game, and they feel like they're a lot stronger up front. We've hit the grad transfer portal extremely hard on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. And Jeff, last year, Ben and I, we were at the at the Notre Dame game, and we were watching it. And Georgia Tech physically up front, when you look at the eye test, demo. They, are compl- they were completely not even on the same playing field as the Notre Dame fronts, not defensive right. or offensive. And so, with adding these guys like Kevin Harris from Alabama, 6'4", 265, Keon White from uh, Old Dominion, you add these guys that are 6'5", 260. We've got some guys that are in the interior. We've got one guy that's 330, and he's 6'5". You start adding that stuff, and so you hope the pieces are there that if, if like you said earlier in the show, and people might, they say, oh, it's so cliche, it's so cliche. But if you cannot compete in the trenches with your front seven on defense and your front seven on offense, you literally have no chance to be no, a 500-plus team. You can't win. And, uh, no, and you he, can't win. And that's why – And I'm sorry, that's why I brought it up. I, I asked you about Georgia Tech partly because I knew you would know. But also, I feel like Georgia Tech, oddly, is in a similar situation to Florida State because when I yep. watch Georgia Tech, I keep thinking, well, they can't block. They can't win the battles up front. Mm-hmm. And if you can't block, you cannot win. And all the other stuff that Florida State fans get excited about with skill position, listen, skill position exists everywhere because seven on seven's played everywhere now. Oh, yeah. you got a, you got a, you've got an abundance of receivers and running backs and quarterbacks that can throw it around the lot. But if you can't block, none of it matters. And, and that's what I was wondering about Georgia Tech as well. Absolutely. And the, 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 what you mentioned about competing and all, that is what I think Coach Collins in year three has got to really show the fan base that these guys, okay, we've come in here and we've retooled this roster because it was bad. We had like eight players that couldn't bench 225 more than like 10 or 12 times. Now we have like 48 players that like, you know, kind of revamping that whole thing of we're going to attack the day. We're going to be physical. We're going to compete. That high-level, high-energy we're going to get after you. We're going to come after you, mm-hmm. like Deshard Choi said. You come out and you get on the practice field, and we're going to get up in you. And you're going to get up in you for two and a half hours, and then that's going to build you and get ready for Saturday. Georgia Tech's got to got to get to that point, you know, where the players are bringing that to practice. And Deshard Choice knows that. He played on some good Georgia Tech teams, and like you said, he played yep. a long time in the NFL. They got to play like every day is their last day, and you've. You've got recruits now to this point after two years. You're in year three. You've had a, you've done good in the transfer portal. You market yourself as good as any college football team. I think you could you could you could argue that point. They market themselves extremely well using the Atlanta ploy, the four hundred four, all that type of stuff. Waffle House. But we've got to see. <laughs> but you know, but we've got to see in year three as fans. Hey man, what are we paying for here though? You, we we've seen it now. The stuff with that you're you're selling me, I gotta see at least six wins. Like you talk about, you know, Norvell trying to get to five and a half or six. Georgia Tech in the coastal, Jeff, they gotta get six. They gotta get six or seven. Our coordinators no getting fired. Like yeah. you, you got you're telling me that I've got four star players everywhere, and we're benching this, we're doing that, and our strength and condition to- coaches on our Instagram, and Tashard Choice is you know pumping up <laughs> Megatron's on there. That gummit, we better get seven. We better at least. <laughs> win seven games, you know? Don't you agree? I love, I love the passion. I love it. I mean, you, you, I ought love to, you ought it. to see it. Oh, it's great. It is great. That is, that's too good, man. I, I, my favorite part is uh, when, when, you know, we put on our – we're fans. We all went to school somewhere, and we all love our teams and all that. And then we can do the thing where you step outside and you're really objective – and when you marry those two, it is really hard because both sides pull. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to figure, you know. And I haven't looked at Georgia Tech's schedule this year to see because a lot of it is that, too. Like, I, Florida State this year, like, poor, I say poor, he wouldn't want me to say it, but if you're Mike Norvell, you have to be in the back of your mind be thinking, really? We got to start with Notre Dame? Are you kidding me? Well, in a year where I'm trying to get to six wins, I got to start the season against Notre Dame. We can't just play. Jacksonville State in week one. We can't, you know what I mean? So, because Florida State's had a lot of these early season games in September 
They played Alabama. That's the beginning of the end for them because DeAndre Francois got hurt, Jimbo leaves. But if you go back and look, they've had these big games to start the year, and they've started 0-1 or 1-1, and you feel like you're grounded before you could ever get going. Yeah. Um, next, you know, next year, I think they play LSU the first game of the year, the second game of the year. I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's like, who, I know these guys sitting in, in conference rooms think it's such a good idea to open like that, but my goodness, you don't know who the coach is going to be in 2028 when you schedule yeah. somebody like that. And, like, you know, Georgia Tech this year, they should easily start out too. I mean, goodness gracious. You Which got, they need. That yeah, will help them It, it would really help the morale to start 2-0. and They got Northern Illinois first on the opener. Then they got Kennesaw State, both of which, just talent-wise now, it, you should win those games. But you, your, your oh, sub yeah. yeah. should be in the, in the game in the third quarter. But then we come in. We've got to go to Clemson at 3.30 on Saturday, September 18th. And book in that coming back to Atlanta and play North Carolina the next week, and then we play Pitt the week after that. And Pitt is always, whatever Narduzzi has, he's got like a magic rabbit when he plays Georgia Tech. <laughs> we just, he rubs it whenever the stuff goes, like it's getting a little rough, and his kickers will just nail seven field goals in a row from 50-plus. You know how I was talking earlier about that weight game being the cornerstone, being everything. I'm, I pulled up your schedule now that we're going over it together. So you're two, so, so you're two and two after four, yes. and now you got and now you got to beat Pitt, Have Duke, to. and Virginia. You got to win those three games because here's uh, Virginia's terrible this year. Duke isn't any good, uh, and Pitt. I think you beat Pitt. I don't like their offensive line. Nope. They've got problems, but I, I'm with you. That's a toss-up game, but you got to win it. It's at home. Then all of a sudden, yeah, then all of a sudden you're five and two. And now even if you were to lose to Virginia Tech, Miami, BC, Notre Dame, and Georgia, that, that'll hurt. But <laughs> <laughs> He said that'll hurt, man. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you've gotten yourself to a position where – if you get those wins and you get to five and two, you got a little momentum. Who knows? You beat Miami a year ago. Maybe Miami's already laying down. The BC game's a toss-up game. I don't like it against Notre Dame and Georgia. But, I mean, I really – you got – yeah, six wins. I'm with you. you got to get there. you yeah. got to get to six. And like you said, like that, like the Wake Forest game for Florida State, Pitt will propel you to three wins. I think if you yep. beat Pitt in a convincing fashion, that you could win the month of October. And we in Virginia Tech at home and not having to go to Blacksburg, that's a that big could, deal. That that's could a big be deal a, for if, Tech. If you've won three in a row and you got Virginia Tech at home, that could get you your sixth win. You know, I mean, that could really put you there. But yeah. if you don't win that Pitt game, you can write it off, man. It's going to be really difficult to get there. My niece goes to Georgia Tech now. Her first year was last year, and uh, and so I'm so excited for her. And you know, she goes to games with my brother, and and, and I just I, I have a little soft spot in my heart for Georgia Tech these days. Now I got family there. That's awesome. <laughs> did, did, she, did she get any of the uh, the Jeff Collins money down? Has she stuffed any cash yet from the game? <laughs> 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 oh, that's you funny. Her, you have to get her to grab some and send you a souvenir from the money down. That is, that stuff's, you know, that's what me and Ben joke about. It's like, you know, if you're going to talk all this trash, which is really what you're doing, like, you got to start backing some yeah. of this up, man. Like, if it's yeah. third down, your guys got to be coming off the edge, sacking people, getting takeaways. I mean, you got to start backing some of this up. But it all makes for good fun, though. I mean, the students love that stuff. They're throwing cash out of the end zone with Jeff Collins' face on it. I mean, it's, it's pretty <laughs> funny. I, I listen. When Jeff Collins was hired, I thought that was a really good hire. I really did, and and I I feel like you know, look, obviously he's had a tough go. What is it, two and nine and three and eight or whatever it is? But I, I this has got to be a year where you get to six wins. If it happens, he's got a chance to to kind of get a foothold. And you know, I know this. I know that when you go around the country and you find the teams that are succeeding with great consistency, they have continuity. Yep. They, most of the time, now there are exceptions, of course there are outliers, but most of the time what you find is there's real continuity. That allows you to deal with the setbacks. It allows you to deal with the successes because there's a standard in place and people understand that we're building towards this thing that has been set before they ever got there. But when you're constantly making changes and guys struggle and they're not able to get a full foothold, like I said, then you know, you just you just – forever starting over it's just no way to be it's, it's weird i i never used to be very patient maybe i'm just getting older i'm the father of two boys i don't know what it is but <laughs> i i feel like sometimes now with coaches i'm telling myself and i'm telling my, my fans the, 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 you know, the fans of the university 
got to be patient, got to be patient, even though internally I'm not patient. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's where the that's where the objectiveness and then, the, you know, your yeah. personal, that's where that coincides. It's like objectively you're like, man, it's only year three. If he can give me six, it'll be okay. We really need him to stay there because we're getting recruits and everything. But then the little the little, the little, little Georgia Tech or Florida State fan inside of me says, mm, yeah. he's going to win. He's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm tired yeah. of losing. Going. Well, without question, yeah. If he goes out there this year and goes four and eight, after what I just described, you're going to be like, I'm done with him. I'm done yeah, with him. Yeah, but, yeah. But, you it's, know, it's true. You're, and you're and it may him. not be the right move, but you you know what? I mean, I feel like you got to stick with him again at one more year after that. But but I don't, you know, again, he doesn't get carte blanche, just be there forever and lose a bunch of games. But it, it's such a weird balancing act. It's really difficult. Oh, yeah, there's there's no question. And uh, it, it's it's just exciting to, be, to talk about all this and really, really get to – it's here now. I mean, you got you really starting mm-hmm. to get to see if the if the if the uh, the the butter's in the pudding or the whatever you you know whatever what saying is. The, the proof is in the pudding. The that, proof, that's what we're looking for there. The proof is in the pudding. They, wow. they probably do put butter in banana pudding, but there is, not, there is butter. But there's it's the proof is the proof. what you were looking for. All right, just, All right whatever's in that bottle over there, that hey, you got to you got to get that water. off the table. We went through a whole middle school practice, Joe. Good gosh. Yeah. Hey, by the way, just for the record. I am now forever going to use the butters in the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Some hack in Dublin, Georgia said that on a podcast. Trademark copyright. There you go. <laughs> it is there. It is there. It's you just know, it's not the same. That's, that's too good. I like that. I was like, well, the butters in the pudding, boys. <laughs> <laughs> only on the Rob, Ben, and Joe show. That's right. Yeah, that's so good. That is so good. That's <laughs> only middle Georgia quality entertainment right there. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, uh, Jeff, let's, let's trade transition here in the last 15 minutes or so we got let's talk about that uh cash money boy that's no longer in clemson but with the jacksonville jaguars mr trevor lawrence himself we asked the question last week on our show when because we assume he's going to be the starter when will he get his first loss when will that happen you know because the kid had lost and you know ever you know, so if, and uh, uh, here's a cheat code, Jeff. If you just go to Google and type in the first team they play, then that might be. <laughs> well, what I, I, I was just, I was just gonna say. By the way, it's Jacksonville. I, I get it, but I might just start with any game, whatever the first <laughs> one is. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's a toughie. Um, all right, so let's check the Jaguars for a second here, since we were going to that. Well, I see the they, next preseason game, which couldn't do open, any good. They open at Houston. Oh, well, that, that's a win, guys. They're going to win that game. Houston's a mess. Yeah, um, they can't even find yeah. out how they're going to put their GM. They don't have any idea what's going on. <laughs> no, that's a – what a great first game. And in truth, if you are Trevor Lawrence, you could not ask for anything better than the opportunity to play that Houston team this year of all things. Uh, I, yeah, no, I, I like them to win that game. And, and I don't know that I'll like them to win much else. So I'm going to have to tell you – uh, week two, when they play the Broncos, that's loss number one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a safe one to say. And if somehow they dodge that one, they're definitely probably going to lose to Arizona in week three. Yeah. Kyler Murray will abuse them. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I'm going to, you know, we can have a little fun with this real quick. Let's see. Jaguars, Texas, I'll give them a win. They have a loss to the Broncos. Uh, yeah, they'll lose to the Cardinals. Uh, they could lose to that Bengals team. That wouldn't be surprising. Nope. They're going to lose to the Titans. They're going to lose to the Man, we. They may not get but one win, guys. <laughs> then you get to Seattle. Buffalo will smack them. The Colts will yeah. they'll lose there. I mean, it gets yeah. tough. So luckily, they, luckily they do get the Texans one more time. So <laughs> <laughs> they make it. They make it book in yeah. that with another win. And hey, I yeah. know you're, you're down there in that area too. So will uh, Tom mm-hmm. Brady's got most of the people, I guess, coming back with him. Do they? Do they make another repeat run? Do they? have enough in the tank for the well box? you know the weird the, the thing is and i do a podcast called the scuttlebox i'm from down there i'm a lifelong bucks fan and and i you know that was a, a joyous situation for all of us who went, suffered through all those tough years and i i i do love the bucks i, I went to the, my dad who you guys know used to take me to the old uh, the big sombrero raymond james we used to go watch the bucks when they were terrible <laughs> i saw them in O two when they when they won the super bowl and so then get another one that was really cool and my kids I have a 13-year-old and 11-year-old. Even with COVID last year, the station that I was on, the ESPN station I was on, we carried the bucks because, of course, Gene Deckerhoff 
or State's play-by-play announcer does the Bucks games as well. And we would get tickets to those games. So I had an opportunity last year to take my youngest and my oldest to two different games. We saw the Bucks and the Chargers and the Bucks and the Vikings. Bucks won both games. Both games were thrilling, come from behind victories, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, they'll never forget Tom Brady and the Bucks this past year. But it is uncanny and very, and historically speaking, rare to see a team win a Super Bowl and re-sign every significant member from that team into the next year. And that's exactly what they did. So barring injury, I think they'll win the NFC South. And I have a hard time believing they're not the team to beat. Now, I would maybe recognize certainly that Green Bay will be good again if Aaron Rodgers can put aside his hurt feelings. And obviously, you look, you know, they'll be good again. I mean, the man won the MVP a year ago. And then in addition, I really believe that that Rams team made a significant upgrade at quarterback. Uh, I thought it was a smart move. And, and for them, I, you know, we look at that defense. So that Rams team will be very good, too. But, yeah, the Bucks are certainly uh, right there amongst the two or three teams in the NFC. If Washington gets quarterback play, they're really good on defense. So there might be another one that could surprise. Yeah, because their defense is pretty dang solid. And like yeah, you said, yeah. Stafford might be one of the biggest moves uh, in the NFC, getting out there to the, to the Rams and uh, providing McVay with some – Goff was good, but he couldn't really uh, he couldn't really kind of maestro some. And Stafford's got right. enough juice with his arm to where he can kind of the scramble drill. Goff's getting sacked. Stafford's yeah. got enough arm to where he can he can lay one out there sidearm for fifty five yards. Yeah. You know, what I mean, and, and yeah. make a that that wins that wins NFL games in the fourth quarter. Be honest, that, that the quarterback. Was one of the, yeah, I agree with you. No, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I feel like that was a big upgrade because I. I've often thought that Stafford was in a tough deal. You know, obviously in Detroit, everybody goes there to see their career die. He had some big seasons, even though he was in Detroit, you know. And I love the arm strength, always have, obviously. We all saw him at Georgia. But, he's, he, you know, I think he's a big upgrade for them because they'll be able to run the ball and play good defense, and he throws off a play action. I mean, that's a guy I trust, actually, more than I do golf. So I, I like the Rams to win the NFC West. I like the Bucks to win the NFC South. And then I think it's kind of fun to watch that NFC North with Justin Fields in Chicago this year, but I think Packers will win that division again. Yeah, I think the Packers will take it. I, you just don't know. I mean, after the last couple of years, you just don't know which Aaron Rodgers you're going to get. Are you going to get the guy that pouts and his teammates hate him? Um, are you going to, you know, is he running that? Who is running that organization? Is it Aaron Rodgers or is there really, you know, a GM that runs that organization? You just never, you do not know what you're going to get, but they're going to be good again. They've got plenty of talent and stuff around him, but. Yeah, I, I out there. You just don't know what yeah. you're going to get with him. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. I mean, the guy it wins an MVP. They host the NFC Championship game, and he's complaining that he doesn't have enough say or enough <laughs> talent around him. I, I don't know how that works, man. You won the MVP, and you hosted the NFC Championship game. I mean, <laughs> you just didn't win. Aaron. I mean, you had a bad, you had a bad championship game. That's like, all. I mean, you didn't play good. Like, so okay. yeah. No, but if I get, yeah, but if I, mean, I, but if you let me have Randall, we'll win. We'll win. Yeah. We can do little Randall back. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. He went to war for that. You know, it's really weird to me. Now, that has to be a a really nasty relationship. Uh, Him with the GM, that's an ugly situation. You know, there aren't too many guys that you would ever side with the player over, let's say, management per se. But I actually kind of thought in that one that Green Bay might – because you don't want to be the guy that forced – Aaron Rodgers to leave Green Bay and then to turn around. Just what are the chances you're going to – the Packers have been one of the most fortunate franchises in NFL history when you consider that you go from a Hall of Famer in Brett Favre to a Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers. That is a very rare turn of events. I mean, I'm sure New England hopes like hell they can find their next Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not Cam it's Newton. Not looking it's good. not Cam Newton. It's not Cam Newton, right? And you can do this. Like, we'll see what the Steelers do when Roethlisberger leaves, and he was he looked shot last year to me, but we'll see what happens. But, I mean, you know, it's really rare to be able to follow guys up like that. So, uh, th- th- you don't want to be the guy that let Aaron Rodgers get away. And at the same time, I don't think it's a real good look for Aaron Rodgers to be complaining when they just got to the NFC Championship game and he won the MVP. That's bad for the <laughs> locker room. I mean, it is. That's That's bad for the locker room. We talk about, like, you know, we've been talking about the locker room and chemistry and kind of that – when you got when your number one guy, the face of your franchise per se, has been since like you, like you said, Brett Favre left, is up here being a sideshow about money and wanting to make call the shots on personnel. That's not good in the locker room. It's not. I mean, no. you're, you're not getting, you're not winning the locker room. You definitely aren't enticing the defense to get you any stops. I can guarantee you that. Not when you're trying to 
nitpick and stuff. So he's got he's walking a fine line up there in Green Bay, uh, really doing what he's doing. And he just he he really if he would just have shut his mouth and just let it go on and play. You're 36, man. I mean, you know, Tom Brady's got the model. Not everybody's Tom. Aaron has too much ego. Tom has ego, yeah, but I, Tom also likes to win too much. <laughs> yeah, and Tom, like, here's the thing: if you're Aaron Rodgers, you could do all that behind the scenes. You could do all of the stuff that he did. You could go in that office if you need to and say, "Look, guys." I just want a little leeway, a little say, and who, who we're bringing in as free agents. I'm down to my final couple of years. I, you know, I'm ready to make one final run. Who, they're going to listen to him. I would tell you that I think they would listen to him, but you go public with it and you air dirty laundry and it gets ugly in a hurry. And now we have a situation where people have to choose sides. I just feel like Tom Brady and other quarterbacks in that situation do that behind the scenes. They get, they get their point across behind the scenes. It's the smarter way to work typically. Yeah, yeah, there's no question about that. You, you don't want to be all you don't want to be in the scene for that for sure as the QB. You Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is the girlfriend that's out with the next the next the next guy on Friday night. And make sure that she's in the same she's in the same place that you are and making you feel terrible. That is Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> and Jeff, as we get as we get ready to close here, we kind of touched on it last week. Do you feel like now uh you know, you got a lot of these guys uh, um retiring at quarterback, you know, your Drew Breeses are gone a few years ago you had mm-hmm. Manning Brady's on the end of his career maybe you know, Aaron, yeah Aaron Rodgers is you know Aaron Rodgers is getting towards the tips of 40 it, is is this the year or is this the two or three years that we start to see the torch being passed to the other quarterbacks coming up the young guys that we're seeing with your Trevor Lawrence's Justin your Joe Herbert. Burrows yeah. Justin Herberts are we Eason. seeing the next decade to 20 years of quarterbacks you think in the next couple of years that these guys are trying to get their their uh their staples in yeah, you just heard uh, – you just named two of the big ones that I really like a lot. Uh, I mean, obviously, I like Joe Burrow. That was a shame what happened to him behind that. Oh, yeah. You know, Don't offensive fire. line for Cincinnati, yeah. But I, I – you know, I have to admit, uh, Justin Herbert really impressed me last year. He's and, filthy. And seeing, he is. That oh, he can make every throw. He's huge. I'll tell you what, in person, now you can read – you know, we all do this. We look at the guy, we say, okay, 6'5", 240, boy, that's a big guy. Well, I was down where the Chargers came out of the tunnel. We were down on the goal line, that side, the away side, for that game that I took my son to. And he, and he came out. And there's some big boys on that field, obviously, with Bosa and some of these other guys. And Justin Herbert looked like a defensive end. Yes. I mean, he was – I couldn't believe how big he was. And then he threw the first touchdown pass of the game, and it's this beautiful throwback. You can look it up on YouTube. It's this throwback to the left where it takes every bit of your arm strength. He's on the far white, uh, right side of the hash, and he goes back across to the left side in the corner of the end zone and just drops a dime from 50 yards. I, I thought, wow, you don't see a lot of guys that can make that throw. So, yeah, I think the promise is there. Like I said, I really am excited to watch Justin Fields in Chicago. They haven't had an athletic quarterback, guys that can get out of the pocket and really do much in a long time. Even when even when Rex Grossman went on that run where they lost the Colts in the Super Bowl, uh, he wasn't terribly athletic. So I, I, I'm excited for them. Uh, I do think there's a lot of up-and-coming talent, obviously, a quarterback right now. We always say the next group is coming through. You never really know until you get four and five years in. But from a talent standpoint, it sure looks like. It yeah, really does. I mean, you look at all these guys that are out there. You, you talked about Justin Fields. You got Trevor Lawrence. You got Burrow. You got mm-hmm. Eason. You know, up in and, and Eason may start for the Colts. Oh yeah, I watched him. Yeah, uh, he very I watched well him yesterday. And, I did too. Uh, he went like eighteen for twenty one for one eighty three, and he yeah. was. Th- I mean, he may start for. The and Colts. you got you know there in Buffalo. What's his name? Josh Allen. Josh, oh, Josh Allen. Allen. He's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. love that kid. And and mm-hmm. Mac Jones and Mac Jones yeah. just being England. drafted. He looks like well, he can really. Kinda... Mahomes is still young. Oh yeah, know he's oh, yeah. The Super Bowl. Mahomes is still <laughs> young. Yeah, Mahomes. Yeah, you may you may want to mention Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he's pretty <laughs> big. That guy's just average. <laughs> but but yeah. Herbert has that kind of poise, like a Peyton Manning or or, or mm. well, I don't want to put Philip Rivers in there because he played for a long time. Philip was successful, but he's got that type of poise to a, of a Tom Brady or or somebody like that that looks like he just could really play. Play a long time and, and win. he might not do it with the Chargers, but he looks like he could win a lot of NFL football games. That's what well, I know. And yeah, to the point that you're making about the talent that's out there, there are a couple guys that we'll have to see how the rest of their career goes and how their story is written. But in the midst of all of this, we have to gloss over because we don't know what his future is. And it's 
appears to be an ugly situation, but lest we forget, Deshaun Watson was the top four quarterback last year. Uh-huh. I mean, the man threw for he almost threw for five thousand yards last year and completed somewhere near seventy percent of his passes. Now, obviously, he may not have a career. We don't know. We'll let and see this play out. But there's another guy with immense talent. While we're just talking about the seven or eight that look like the future. Well, what do we say about Dak Prescott? Is he still young? Is he in that group? Where's Dak at? He's in he's in the group. He's in the group, but I, I don't know. He, is he is he healthy? Is he healthy? Is nah. it his shoulder was yeah. hurting or something? Well, yeah, he's he's going to be healthy enough to start the season. I personally would have him a notch below the guys we named. Sure. I mean, he, obviously, you can win with him. I think he's a nice quarterback. He's but Andy Dalton for the Cowboys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I yeah. I don't think he's elite. I think he's, he's good, but he's not elite. He's not elite. Yeah. He's not an elite player. I mean, you, when you, I, I'm throwing, I'm throwing T. And and Joe Burrow in the category that they could they could in the fourth quarter you give them a couple years in the league and if it's in the fourth quarter and you got them and Mahomes battling out you got one heck of a football game yeah. to watch. I don't see fun. Dak That'd making that. Fun. Yeah, I don't see Dak making that. But you know at the end of the day, man, I mean the the butter's in the pudding. So that's yeah, the really butter's in the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so well done, boys. Oh. Well done. You gotta love it. <laughs> gotta love it. All right, well Jeff, we appreciate you being on with us, my friend. We hope to talk to you again and uh yeah you know we, we'll call you when uh when trevor lawrence gets his first loss how about that <laughs> yeah well i'll be hearing from you real soon then hey by the way by the way just i have not forgotten and i think i've come through i've got the spear for you guys see i oh, wasn't even gonna bring it up yeah, i was no, gonna bring it up i was gonna bring yeah. it up but I, no, oh jimbo I better be it. coming coming through with the spear man I'm getting the spear for you. I stole it from the radio station that just fired me. <laughs> Contraband, baby. Contraband. That makes me just want it a little bit more right there. Oh, man. Well, listen, I'll talk to you again real soon, boys. Be good. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Jeff. You too. All right. Bye-bye. show download the show today on your spotify playlist or apple music